Over the years, I've shared a passage from a philosopher, or I'm not even sure who he is, but I liked his, his teachings, a philosopher named Francois Fenelon. And I've often shared this passage alongside a passage from the Sri Lankan, I think he's Sri Lankan meditation master, Bhante Gunaratna, and it's been always shared uh, relative to what happens when someone begins to turn the light of awareness on their inner experience. And Bhante Gunaratna essentially says, somewhere in the process of meditation, you will come to the realization that you're completely crazy. Your mind is a shrieking madhouse on wheels barreling down the hill, utterly out of control and hopeless. And he says, don't worry about this. It's no worse than it was yesterday. You just didn't notice. But then I would follow with a, a slightly more poetic, more serious uh, passage from Francois Fenelon, which essentially is saying the same thing that you see the, when you shine the light, you see, different, you see different things. But I, I thought tonight that I, would, I wanted to read this passage from Francois Fenelon more relative, more as a positive note relative to our, our incredibly horrifying, maddening, and I mean mad, maddening uh, political, social situation, that uh, heartbreaking. I thought the words of Francois Fenelon might be of some benefit to us and remind us to keep up whatever uh, awakening that we are, are, can engage in both internally and externally. Francois Fenelon. As light increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. Anybody had that feeling? We are amazed at our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our heart a whole swarm of shameful feelings like filthy reptiles crawling from a hidden cave. Anybody had that view of reality lately? We never could have believed that we had harbored such things. I'll just add the word collectively. And we stand aghast as we watch them gradually appear. But we must neither be amazed nor disheartened. We are not worse than we were. On the contrary, we are better. But while our faults diminish, the light by which we see them waxes brighter, and we are filled with horror. Bear in mind for your comfort that we only perceive our malady when the cure begins.
So it's a different way of looking at ourselves and at the world. Very easy to see the swarm of shameful actions the, and being filled with horror at people being excluded and targeted and all everything. I don't want to get into the litany of, of what seem like just humanly wrong actions. Again, but they are um, they are being seen. They're being witnessed, and it's galvanized a, and will continue to galvanize a, a bright light, and the and you can see that just in one little small example that the news media is not playing along. There's, they're speaking up. And everyone, you know, all the, the outpouring of, of caring. You know, it's a little sad that this is, elements of this are always in our culture. And it's, it's sad that we can, in our own preoccupations, and our own personal shrouds, can be oblivious. And maybe for some people right now, this is just more of the same. But um, anyway, for those who feel as though you're getting a, a big dose of reality, this is good news. That part's good news. No longer asleep. And for those who are, it's business as usual, thanks for being compassionate to those who walk around oblivious every day. And for all of us, no matter who you are, we need help. We need the help, and the Dharma is just such a, a beautiful support for, for these uh, tumultuous days. Uh, such a support at the, in good times and in difficult times, in our families, in our communities, in our, in our world. I was thinking when Dave mentioned the day long that, I'm, that I have coming up on the, the end of February, wisdom and love or something like that, wisdom and compassion. I have, just between you and me, don't tell anyone. <laughs> I sometimes don't know what I'm, I'm doing until I arrive at Spirit Rock on the day. <laughs> um, because the Dharma all comes down in a way to, to wisdom and love. And it, and it all comes down in a way to the wisdom of being loving. Good times and difficult. And the, and that it is the most loving, loving thing that we can do is to be wise. Because wisdom, wisdom frees our hearts 
Wisdom frees our hearts from, from confusion, from constricted views, from our self-preoccupation, from taking things that are, that are insecure and changing, thinking that we can make them solid. Making things that are, that are, that are made up of so many non-personal circumstances, each of us being moved and formed by so many conditions, taking it so personally. The Dharma can help us see through that, that self-illusion, that illusion of separateness. And it can help us to see that when we cling to self, when we cling to views, when we cling to rites and rituals, when we cling to pleasures, we suffer. When we let go, we feel more free. When we feel more free, we're more caring. We're more settled. We're more peaceful. We can, we're, we're more ready. We're more strong. So when we're wise, it unleashes our hearts. We're no longer just spinning our wheels in the endless search, search for a pleasurable feeling or for the world to be made in our image. We come to see that things are as they are and, you know, and we do everything we can to bring more, more health, wealth, kindness we bring we do everything to make have there be more justice more um, more big heartedness big mindedness but we also understand that that this world has within it a swarm of of greed hatred and ignorance and we we come to we have to be able to find peace regardless of our circumstances and in fact, we realize that we, that we have to have some kind of peace in our hearts. Otherwise, you can't just... Peace doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen... It's, it can't be imposed. It can't come from our politics. It has to start from each person. We have to have justice in our own heart. So if we cultivate wisdom... Cultivate the wisdom that says when, when we get disembodied, our mind starts to be agitated. And when our mind is agitated, it gets into trying to figure things out because it, want, it's fine, it feels like it's the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean. Feel like we're disconnected. And we love ourselves and so we want to do something about what we see and, and then we look around, we can't, we're not looking here for our, when we're disembodied, we're looking out at everyone else, seeing all the crazy in the world and that makes us even crazier. And so wisdom says, first things first, you have to come back into your body, the Buddha's basic teaching. Nothing leads to calm, to focus, 
to a pleasant dwelling in this very life, to the heart's release, to wisdom, to knowledge, to, to freedom, more than mindfulness directed to the body. And you find even in the middle of this crazy time, we stop for a few moments and you feel your body. Tonight, my way of getting embodied had a, you know, a roller coaster day and but my way of getting in my body was I was walking down Valencia, directing loving kindness, doing the loving kindness phrases toward myself. It's a habit I developed about 25 years ago on Dolores Street. I'd, before I would lead the group that used to be on, that used to be Dolores Street Dharma, by the way. <laughs> anyway, before I would lead the group, I would walk up. Dolores Street, and I would always do metta, either to the, you know, stealth metta to everybody around me, or I would send it to myself. And I was always startled at the moment I directed a little kindness to myself. I felt my body sitting there, and I felt the, some kind of tender stirring. And my heart would often kind of release and produce a few, my, my, my eyes would produce some tears, and I'd, all of a sudden I'd be home again. It's as though I, I had not been home. I had left myself. And then all of a sudden I was back, and, and being home in my body, home in the present moment, I just felt much more that, that the world hadn't changed at all, but, but I, could, I could be in the world. I could... Everything, at least my unfolding moments, could be feel more workable. When I was disembodied, whoo, I was just in a state of fight, flight, freeze, panic, worry, not able to, or just not even knowing that I was worried and panicky. So just we're always only a, a split second, a half breath away from from the source of peace, which is our own, having our mind and body in the same location. So wisdom tells us to put your mind in your body. And then the, the, the Buddha, another brilliant reminder of how to, how to be with the, the present times, he said, learn to accommodate pleasant feelings, let them wash over you, and just feel their pleasantness without grabbing too much, but I think most important for right now, learn how to accommodate unpleasant feeling. Learn how to feel it through the body and know this is really unpleasant. This is really, really unpleasant. I picked up something earlier tonight, wondered when it, if it would be relevant. But this is um, from Ajahn Chah, the great forest master from Thailand, the teacher of Jack Cornfield who he lived with and uh, ordained as a monk with Ajahn Chah, said, most people still don't know the essence of meditation practice. They think that walking meditation, sitting meditation, listening to Dharma talks are the practice. That's true, that's true too, but these are only the outer forms of practice. The real practice takes place when the mind encounters a sense experience. That's the, pl the place to practice where sense contact occurs. When people say things we don't like, there is resentment. If they say things we like, 
we experience pleasure. Now, this is the place of practice. How are we going to practice with these things? This is the crucial point. If we run around chasing after happiness and away from suffering all the time, we practice We can practice until the day we die and never see the Dharma. This is useless. When pleasure and pain arise, how are we going to use the Dharma to to be free of our reactivity? This is the point of practice. Usually when people encounter something disagreeable to them, they don't open to it. Such as when people are criticized, don't bother me, why blame me? This is someone who's closed himself or herself off. Right there is the place of practice. So right now, we, whether it's something someone says to you or just your, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, feel the unpleasantness of it. Really take it in. It's not to build a monument to it. It's just, it's all feelings that bring us back to our body that, that connect our our human heart. As Hafez, the great ecstatic poet, says when he talks about being with feelings, he says, don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deeply. Deep. Let it ferment and season you as few human or even divine ingredients can. So having felt something, he says, something missing in my heart tonight has made my eyes so soft my voice so tender, the need of truth absolutely clear. So that's practice as we feel things. And we don't have to just strike out at, uh, at someone who hit us with something that produced an unpleasant feeling. We don't have to go running for the pleasant and running away from the unpleasant. We can sit in the middle and experience both. To me, it's the source of, to be able to be with a whole range of feelings is, that's what we call resilience. I um, think this is a good time to read this anonymous passage, or a, a passage from an anonymous samurai from the 14th century. He said, I have no parents. I make the heaven and earth my parents. I have no home. I make awareness my home. I have no life and death. I make the tides of my breathing my life and death. I have no divine power. I make honesty my divine power. You can tell he's shifted his locus of strength his locus of peace, of freedom, internally. I have no means. I make understanding my means. I have no secrets. I make character my magic secret. I have no body. I make endurance my body. I have no eyes. I make the the flash of lightning my eyes. I have no ears, I make sensibility my ears. I have no limbs, I make promptness my limbs. I have no strategy, I make unshadowed by thought my strategy. That's a, reminding us the, those moments of presence. We're not lost in our imagination. 
I have no designs. I make seizing the opportunity by the forelock my design. I have no miracles. I make right action my miracles. I have no principles. I make adaptability to all circumstances my principles. I have no tactics. I make emptiness and fullness my tactics. I have no talents. I make ready wit my talent. I have no friends. I make my mind my friend. How many of us are friends with our mind? I have no enemy. I make carelessness my enemy. I have no armor. I make benevolence and righteousness my armor. I have no castle. I make immovable mind my castle. I have no sword. I make absence of myself my sword. So the reminder to stop, feel, to experience a range of feelings so that we can be right in the middle of whatever happens. And see, wisdom tells us life, if you're born, is stressful. If you don't have it, you're not one of us. Not just you. It's not personal. But what really exacerbates that stress, what turns it into the wheel of, of endless wandering, what turns it into mental suffering, is a, a chronic tendency to go out in search, go out of our body in search, to go out of the present moment to find relief, to go into the imaginary, to the infusions of our imagination to find relief, to distraction, to smartphones, to whatever we do. Hasn't made anybody happy. To be caught in where we're going or where we've been, past, future. And that this causes us to have more stress. Teachings remind us that there is a way to end that stress. There is, in any moment, we let go. We let ourselves be. We open our eyes. We see clearly. We share love. There's a cessation of this, of this going. Remember that line from the, from the Buddha where he said, when somebody asked him, can you, can you ever reach the end of the, of the world? what you're searching for by going. He said, no. But only those who reach the end of the world become free. But the end of the world of me making and my making, the becoming of all this drama that we play in our minds about how we want things to be, the end of that is 
this moment that we're together right now. There is peace. There is a cessation of suffering in any moment that we actually stop. And if we apply that cessation, that presence into every everyday actions, every our relationships, our our work, our activism. If we stay embodied, stay in-hearted as we act to end the suffering on a collective way. We, we, don't, we don't hold ourselves hostage having to wait to be okay. In fact, it's our okayness that shouts the loudest. It's like the unsinkable Molly Brown, who in the, wasn't it the Titanic? She had that sense of self, she, she wasn't self-conscious, wasn't self-absorbed. She's really present with the situation. She kept everyone's spirits buoyed as they were in those dire circumstances. Just getting back to the Buddha, by walking one can never reach the end or limit of the world by going. Yet there is no release from suffering without reaching the world's end. Hence the wise one knows the world. The one who has lived the holy life will reach the end of the world knowing the world's end at peace. She no more longs for this world nor any other. What, what better offering can you have right now than being a, a, an embodiment of peace? Not being the, the one who's a hungry ghost, who can't stop long enough to really take in the, the suffering and be available to it. One who's just so worried about what's next. But it's not just for special, it's not just for Buddhas. It's for anybody that stops. That's why we, we have to do a daily practice. We have to do a nightly practice. We have to do an all-day practice. I have been a little bit remiss because at the beginning of the year I said, let's all do a 90-day commitment. Was it 90-day or 30-day? And I haven't followed up appropriately, but this is a great time to re-up that commitment to, to several times a day, as many quickies a day, as many longer periods a day where you just marinate in aware presence. Make the, the, the walk from here to your car absolutely, impeccably, lovingly mindful. Driving home, know that you're driving. Tonight when you brush your teeth, from beginning to end, be right there with it. There's so many gaps in the, in the span of torments. And the more you link them together, the less suffering you will have. The more you'll be available the more you will see life right here in the middle of it is so compelling that I, don't, I no longer want to be somewhere else. 
How many of you have been thinking lately about wanting to be somewhere else? <laughs> yeah, me too. Canada. <laughs> but if, you know, if I'm a little bit mindful, I notice, oh, there's the, there's the, if only I could get out. That's a reaction to unpleasantness. And if I can feel the unpleasantness, oh, yeah, that's really unpleasant. Okay, how long does that last, that moment of unpleasantness? Okay, it, with the light of attention, on a feeling of whatever you're feeling. It's so momentary, everything. And yet, the stories that play through our mind that keep getting recreated again and again and again, it makes it seem like there's no way I could find relief right now. Again, it may sound sacrilegious to think of having any relief when there are so many people who are, are in dire straits, but I, I honestly believe that even those people who, or you, who are in dire straits, are not always in dire straits. And that, every, that no one can take that capacity, no matter what their circumstances, your circumstances, nobody can take your capacity to be free away. Nobody can, nobody can steal your mind, steal your awareness, steal your... your your Buddha nature, which is unshakable, unassailable. And that's the, that's the heart of our being, the very consciousness through which we're perceiving. It's untouchable. Everybody has that, no matter what the circumstances. How can we, and it, we need it. We need it to have that kind of strength and resilience. So it's okay. It's okay to relax. It's okay to practice. It's okay to keep good company. And then when you're done, you're, we'll never be done with your practice, but when you're done with your formal practice, get out and march. Or not. Whatever your way of expressing your love that's inevitable if you're present, you're going to you're going, to heart, you're going to have heartbreak and fall in love. And how, that, how that gets expressed, who knows? Anyway, here's the ending of my words. And Oh, shoot, I was hoping we'd have time to hear from you tonight. Next time. From Ashvagosa. called uh, Living in the World. The Dharma of the Buddha does not require a person to go into homelessness or resign from the world unless he or she feels called upon to do so. The Dharma of the Buddha requires every person to free themselves from the illusion of separateness, the illusion of self, to cleanse one's heart, to give up one's thirst and dependency on pleasure and lead a life of righteousness. And whatever people do, 
whether they remain in the world as artisans, merchants, officers, or retire from the world and devote themselves to a life of religious meditation, let them put their whole heart into their task. Let them be diligent and energetic. And if, like the lotus flower, which grows out of muddy water, but remains untouched by the mud, they engage in a life without cherishing envy or hatred. If they live in the world not a life of self, but a life of truth, then surely joy, peace, and bliss will, d- will dwell in their hearts, in their hearts and minds. So let's try to commit to doing this, sitting every day for the next 90 days. We just started a new 90. Walking every day mindfully, eating every day mindfully, listening mindfully, speaking mindfully, consuming mindfully, and really monitoring your consumption, especially of information. And uh, don't miss yourself. Don't miss, don't miss that nature that is just waiting uh, while you're busy making other plans. Anyway, let's keep quiet for a few moments. Forgetting all the words, feasting on our life, whatever flavor presents itself. Maybe sensing that we're in the quiet, that we're not apart from all life, all things, all beings. And then offering any of the fruits, any of the blessings, any of the merit, any of the goodness that may have arisen from our time together and our practice and offering it freely to all of us, all those who are afraid, including all of us, all of those who are angry, including all of us. May our practice be a benefit to all beings in all circumstances shared with a deep wish that all beings can have happiness and peace and the causes of happiness and peace increasing conduct meditation deep wish that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering free of greed and hatred, confusion. Unwise action. Deep wish that all beings can recognize the unshakable happiness, free of sorrow here and now. Never be apart from it. And a deep wish that all beings grow in serenity and equanimity able to sit in the middle of this crazy, frickin' world with less aversion and grasping. Deep wish that our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be liberated. May all beings know their 
true being. Thanks for listening. We're all making it up as we go along, so be patient with yourself. Uh, we're in uncharted territory, so be kind, be present. Love being with you. Thanks for your generosity. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.